I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, and welcome back to ETFs for Beginners, where we stand shoulder to shoulder against the marauding hordes of suboptimal ETF portfolio construction barbarians. Hi, I'm Phil Muscatello. My co-host is Anna Christina. Hello, Anna. Hi, Phil. How are you doing today? Really good. But um, what I'm looking forward to is being outnumbered by Royal Canadian Mounted Investors. <laughs> Anna, who have we got today? Very true. You are outnumbered. We have Angela Thompson, who is the Senior Digital Marketing and Affiliate Marketing Manager at ShareSite Portfolio Tracker. We're very excited to have you, Angela. Thanks for having me. Hey, before we get started, can I just find out which particular parts of Canada are you from? So I'm from the, I guess, the East Coast, not really the East Coast, but we call it that. So Ottawa, which is the capital, which most a lot of people don't know, it's kind of like Canberra. It's between the two bigger cities, so Toronto and Montreal. So my mom's from Montreal, so I'm half French-Canadian, and then the other half is from Toronto, so English-Canadian. And Anna? Oh, I'm from the other side. I'm from the West Coast, so Vancouver. <laughs> <laughs> we have an East Coast-West Coast rivalry. Yeah, but that's okay. We all love each other. Yeah, Canadians, <laughs> we all love each other, for sure. Especially when we don't live in Canada, we all love each other. Totally. And I was going to say, you said outnumbered, but it would be outnumbered since yeah. Canadians. Oh, yes, about that. Yes. <laughs> so, Angela, you have a digital marketing background, and um, I'd love to hear, how did you go from digital marketing to investing before you actually started working at ShareSite? Yeah, great question. So, um, I've always worked in the, the tech startup space. And I was drawn to ShareSite because it was a tech startup, but I, I had no finance experience or working in, in the investing industry. So I loved the challenge of working for a startup and went for it. But it was a bit of trial by fire to learn about investing and the markets and particularly, you know, the Australian market um, and all the vocab and nuances that come with that. So, yeah, that's kind of how I learned about investing that way. Great. And did you have any prior experience to investing before joining ShareSite? Yes and no. So in Canada, we have something similar to a superannuation. Uh, it's called an RRSP. So I did have money in that. It's a tax sheltered investing account. So, you know, I was putting money in that every year, but it was, you know, a managed fund. It is a managed fund. I still have it. So, you know, it is there. It is kind of running in the background, but I definitely was very hands off with it. And it wasn't until I began working at ShareSite that I got more interested in investing directly and learning how to do all of that. And I know prior to the call, we just chatted a little bit that you actually tried out micro-investing as well prior to starting at ShareSite. What was your experience with that? Yeah, that was actually when I first started at ShareSite. I was just interested in all the fintechs and what um, companies were doing in Australia. So there was a company called Acorns. I, they're now called Raise. And they had just launched in Australia. I think it was Australia's first micro-investing platform. And I thought as a marketer, I'd sign up and just see what kind of marketing messages they sent me, what kind of onboarding messages I got. So I think I put like five bucks in the account and I thought, oh, I'll just see what happens. And they got me. They sent me some great messaging, you know, about topping up my account. I did the, um, the automatic roundup where every time I spent money on my debit card, it rounded up the change and invested that for me. And so it did a couple things. It got me used to investing on a consistent basis. There was a mobile app, so I was able to check in on it. 
It made me more aware of the news and what was happening in the world and how that was affecting my investments. So I think it was a really great way to get into that practice of investing consistently. But eventually that amount grew to a couple thousand dollars. And at that point, I decided that it was time to pull that money out and take more of a direct approach. But I would say it was a really good experience. And I would recommend it to a lot of people who are getting into investing or just don't have the time maybe or the will to invest directly themselves. It's really part of the learning process though, isn't it? Because um, a lot of people just can't afford the cost of financial advice. And so doing things like that, even just starting with something, any micro-investing app is at least the first step on the path, isn't it? I agree. Yes. And, you know, to be honest, when it launched, I think there was a lot of chatter. I remember in the news about all the fees were a little bit higher than if you do it yourself. I mean, of course, there's someone has to make money for the fees for the service that they're providing. So there is a little bit of a, I guess, of a fee involved. And of course, there were people with large bank accounts saying, oh, I would never do this. You know, it's too expensive. But they're not putting themselves in the shoes of everyday people who maybe don't have $500 for their first trade on the ASX. But by starting with just a couple dollars, again, it sets that that practice in place and that consistency. And I think, again, it's difficult for some people to kind of put themselves in the shoes of other people. But I think it's a really, really good idea for a lot of a lot of people who are getting into investing. And from there, they can decide if they want to stick with it or if they want to take a more active approach or then work with the financial advisor. There's lots of different ways. But I think it's like you said, I think you just have to start. And the earlier you start, the better. And these are tools that are making it easier and kind of taking the barriers down for people to just kind of get into it and and start learning. So I agree. I think it's a really good thing. And so when you flipped your money out of raise, where did you go then in investing? Yeah. So I, I had a colleague actually who was in marketing as well, who was Canadian too, funny enough. And she bought her first ETF directly on the market. And even though I had worked at ShareSite for a couple of years and I had been hearing people around me talking about share investing, other than the micro investing, I hadn't taken the leap to buy my own shares. But when she did it, I guess it was someone like me. And I thought if she can do it, I can do it. So it's funny, no matter how much chatter was happening around me, it took someone that I could identify with to kind of convince me to take that plunge. So when I took the money out, I bought my first ETF, just kind of taking her advice. And then I kind of kicked myself because it was so easy. You know, I, I always joke, it's like there are more steps involved to buying an airplane ticket online than there are to buying your first share. So the actual execution is the easiest part. It's more about the research and your strategy. That's the kind of stuff that takes a bit longer. But the actual execution was very, very simple. And then from there, I was you know off to the races. I've been investing on my own ever since. But yeah, I think that's why it's so important to have so many different voices talking about investing so that there'll be someone that you can identify with and uh, and kind of take that first step. And how does working at ShareSite fit into your, I guess, investing strategy? I know you've talked about buying an ETF being really easy, but you also said it was a few years after working at ShareSite. So I'd love to hear, like, how does ShareSite actually intercept with your own investing? Yeah, so I definitely use ShareSite to track my own investments. There's a few ways that I use it. So ShareSite makes it really easy to track all my holdings from different brokers. So I even track my Canadian retirement account in ShareSite. So I've got everything living in one dashboard in one place. So I guess from a really high level, it makes it really easy to see everything that's going on sort of in my investment landscape. But then drilling down, it tracks things like dividends, which most brokers don't track. It tracks currency fluctuations. Being Canadian, there's an impact of the Canadian dollar or Aussie dollar, depending on which account I'm looking at. 
It takes care of my taxes for me. So all this stuff that um, I guess a lot of investors kind of worry about when they first get into investing, how they're going to do all that, it automates a lot of that portfolio admin, as we call it, for you. But I also use it for other things like my diversification. I'm really big on asset allocation. So it tracks all of that for me. And it also keeps me in check in terms of what I'm investing in and making sure that I'm aligned with my sort of personal strategies of how I want to invest. So it's really just the one tool that I use to keep track of all that. And so I really can't imagine investing without it. It's been a huge, I guess, bonus to be using it from the very start of my investing journey. And I really don't know how people do it otherwise. Oh, well, they use spreadsheets. <laughs> so they do it all in a spreadsheet, but it can get pretty crazy. So using a tool like this definitely makes it a lot easier for new investors and old. I appreciate and connect a lot with what you're saying because similar to you being a Canadian, coming to Australia, learning the jargon, looking at different currencies, I didn't really understand what the benefit of ShareSite was until I joined it. And it was only then that I realized, oh my gosh, I can see all my dividends. I can see the difference between my dividends and my capital gains and what that means holistically across my portfolio. And I think a couple of weeks ago, Angela, you also gave me a demo of ShareSite of all the things I didn't know existed on ShareSite. And I was absolutely blown away at how it can also help you do your taxes and so forth. I'd love to just hear what are some of the benefits for someone who either a beginner or someone who's advanced, what are some of those benefits of using ShareSite and how can that actually help them be a better investor? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you nailed the the nail on the head, you know, so the dividends is a huge factor, especially if you're investing in Aussie shares. I think Australia has one of the highest dividend yields in the world for shares. And so most brokers don't show you what dividends you're earning. So you'll get them in your account, but you kind of have to keep track of them in a spreadsheet. And even if you're not a strict dividend investors, a lot of the bigger companies are paying dividends. And so we think it's really, really important for investors to keep track of that, not only for tax time, obviously, but just to understand what you're earning. So, you know, some of these ETFs have like, let's say a 9% yield. If the market's down, but you're still earning some dividends, you know, you're not doing as badly as you might think that you are. So again, really important for new investors to keep track of that so that they don't kind of panic when the market's down. But of course, yeah, all the tax components as well. So whether you do your own taxes or work with an accountant, everything's there at tax time. So you're not paying an accountant to chase some random dividend statement. It's all living there. And you can either output the reports or you can share access with your accountant directly, which is our preference, because then you're not emailing, you know, sensitive financial data through email. But like I said, a lot of the visual reports too are really handy, depending on how big you are on asset allocation. Like I said, I get a full breakdown. I've built my own asset allocation, my preferred strategy in ShareSite. So I can see, okay, I've got you know, 40% global shares, 20% Aussie shares, and then a mix of other assets in there. And I can really keep track of it in real time and understand how I'm doing. So if there's opportunities in the market, that's when I know when to top up and things like that. So ShareSite just makes it really easy visually as well to see how I'm going. And I even use it for a watch list, which is something else you can do with ShareSite. You can have multiple portfolios. So they don't have to be actual portfolios of real stocks that you own. You can put any stock that you want to track into a watch list and keep track of it or do sort of quote unquote back testing to see how it did in the past. And that can be really interesting for research purposes as well. And you can even use that before you even start trading. So even if you are like I was before you were ready to dip your toes in the market as a real investor, you can do some fake trading on ShareSite and try it for a few months and see how you feel about it. Maybe learn some lessons along the way. Oh, I shouldn't have bought that one or I should have bought this one instead. And you can try it 
for a few months and see how you go before you're ready to actually take the plunge. There's lots of different ways to use this tool. It doesn't have to be only for real investors. It can be for pre-investors as well. It's interesting that you talk about diversification and um, that you actually have an asset allocation mix. I mean, I nerd out about this kind of stuff all the time. How did you come to your decisions about what kind of allocation you wanted to go for? I think that was the hardest thing for me to figure out. I think a lot of people talked about it, and but don't always give you examples. Obviously, it's difficult to give financial advice, you know, generically. But I, I would struggle to say, okay, but just give me an idea or give me a baseline. So I did manage to come across some articles that kind of gave you different samples of what you might want to look at. So, you know, maybe if you were older and nearing the retirement age, you might want a more bond allocation or things like that, but they were still a little bit generic. So what I did actually is I ended up looking at a few of the robo advisors in the market and saw what their breakdowns were of different ETF classes and sectors. And that's kind of how I figured out what was more aligned with what I was trying to do. So I kind of hacked together what I thought would be a good strategy And for myself, I went 90% ETFs, a mix of assets in the ETFs area, and then 10% of just some stock picks, mostly small caps, Aussie small caps of just companies that I thought were interesting and I thought had potential for the future. But it was kind of the struggle at first to kind of figure that out. That's really clever, though, to hack other robo-advisors and see how they allocate assets. Yeah, I did a spreadsheet and I kind of compared them all side by side. And when you drill down to it, they tend to end up being pretty similar, you know, a balanced portfolio would be pretty similar across the board. Some might have a bit of gold, some might have more bonds or US or something like that. But for the most part, they were pretty consistent. So I was just able to figure out, you know, again, in the day, it's kind of a guessing game. But I, I do believe in the power of diversification. I remember when I first started at ShareSite, our CEO, Doug, showed me the famous Morningstar chart that breaks down over the last 20 years, the different asset classes and how they've performed. And it really indicates to show how every year it changes. You know, one year commodities are up and the next year it's, you know, gold or whatever. And so being able to see that there's no consistency, the only consistency is kind of that things change all the time, really showed me the importance of that. So that was drilled into me pretty early on. But yeah, that was my way is just to hack what the experts are doing and go my way. But again, if I didn't have the time or the wherewithal, I would just invest directly in one of those robos or funds because it's already taken care of for you by a professional. So there's definitely no shade about doing it that way. I just really wanted to DIY it and figure it out for myself. And you mentioned um, that a small part of your asset allocation is direct share investment. Is there any particular themes or areas of interest that you have for investing in? Yeah, there is. One of them is cybersecurity. Um, I have a background working in the data center space, so I was interested in that. I also think that, you know, it's kind of like the picks and shovels. It's the infrastructure that's underlying the entire, you know, internet economy. So I don't really want to buy more Facebook stock. I feel like I probably own enough of that across my super and my Canadian funds and things like that. So I'm not interested in buying more tech companies. I'm interested in buying the tech that underlies those tech companies. So cybersecurity, I own a data center stock, for example. So that's primarily what I've been invested in. There is a biotech stock that I'm invested in that's working towards women's health, which is something I'm passionate about. So yeah, just I guess those are just more little punts of things that I think are interesting or that I think have a, a good potential for the future. And those have helped me to outperform my benchmark as well. So I think I've, I've been able to, to hack that asset allocation a little bit. So it's been interesting. But, you know, overall, I think an ETF strategy is, is a good one. But I like having a little bit of a, of a play with those other stocks just to kind of, 
I guess, follow companies more closely. I, you know, I attend the general meetings, the shareholder meetings. So it gives me a little bit, again, that little bit more of that interest in the direct ownership of a share and, and how a company functions and its reporting and things like that. So yeah, it's been, it's been a good strategy. Wow. You actually go to AGMs and you vote, do you? Uh, I do the, the virtual ones. I haven't attended in person, but I've done the virtual calls. Yeah. Wow, because uh, not many people are interested in that side of things, <laughs> no matter how important <laughs> it is. I love learning what a company is going to do before everyone else. So it's really cool. You get to really get a lot of insights as to what's happening. So yeah, I think it's cool. Yep. Angela, so you talked a little bit about how you invest in specific stocks or shares on the side as well. From when you started investing until now, has your strategy changed or has it stayed the same? Yeah, good question. I mean, the whole point that you're supposed to stick to your guns, right? That's kind of what they say. So it's changed a little bit, I would say. For the most part, it's been pretty consistent. Like I said, I think 40%, you know, a global ETF, 20% Aussie. And then the other mix has been pretty consistent across things like infrastructure and emerging markets and things like that. I did buy a little bit of a gold ETF at one point. It's done okay. So yeah, a little bit. I think I was going to have more bonds at one point initially, and then I decided to kind of not have as much of that in there just because of the way that the bond market's going. But I would say for the most part, it has. I've given myself, I guess, a little bit of wiggle room. And of course, you know, the market's been a little crazy as of late, but I do try to stick to my asset allocation overall. So when, you know, something happens in the market, I do try to kind of top up if there's an opportunity there, but still trying to stick to my percentages, if that makes sense. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Yeah, no, that's great. I think um, often, especially when there's a bit of a bear market, people freak out and they change. And, and to your point, having a strategy up front and sticking to it allows you to stay a bit calmer, I think, especially when you're focused on long-term investing. And how do you go about dividends or distributions? Yeah, so I uh, they're all tracked in ShareSide automatically, so that's good. ShareSide also has the feature where they can email me when I have a dividend that's going to be announced. So usually about a month before I get paid the dividend, ShareSite will, or the distribution, ShareSite will send me an email. So I start keeping track of those dividends that are coming. I don't do DRPs. Well, that's not true. I don't do them in Australia. I do them in Canada, but I'll get to that in a second. So for Australia, I, I collect those dividends and I... I start building my shopping list of what I want to buy. So I'll say, okay, next month I'm going to get $500. What am I going to buy? So if I see that I'm one of my asset, my little section of my pie is down a little bit. I might say, oh, emerging markets, I'm at 5%, but I want 6% or whatever. That's what I'll do is I'll decide to then top up my emerging markets ETF, for example. So I don't choose to do DRPs in Australia, mainly because I do want to stick to my asset mix. So I don't want to overweight myself in a certain area. And I do like the idea of getting the dividend and then going shopping with it and buying more stocks. So I like to be a bit hands-on here in Australia. But having said that, in Canada with my retirement account, it's set and forget. So I do have those on a DRP and it's been going back, gosh, at least 20 years. And ShareSide automates all that for me so I don't have to worry about it. And so every time a, 
I get a dividend, it adds it as a new buy of more shares based upon that dividend or distribution. So yeah, I guess it's yes and no, depending on what you're doing. If I was a lot busier and wasn't necessarily in the industry, I might just do DRPs and again, set and forget and not worry about it. But yeah, I like to get it and then make decisions with what I want to do with it. So for listeners who don't know, what is a DRP? Ah, um, a dividend reinvestment plan or distribution reinvestment plan. So when you earn a dividend, when a company has a profit and pays out a dividend to its shareholders, that money is placed in your account. I don't know about you guys, but every time I get a dividend, it's so exciting. It doesn't matter how many years you've been investing, especially now that we don't really make a lot of money in our bank accounts. We don't really get great interest, but when you get, you know, even just a couple bucks for free from a company, it's so cool. So you get that dividend and some companies will opt to let you reinvest that dividend. So rather than getting the cash in your account, the money is used to purchase more shares of that company. And there are definitely benefits. And that is that you don't pay a brokerage fee when that happens. So that can be really, really good. But of course, you could be buying that stock when it's high as well. So you're kind of just buying it at the company's discretion or whenever it gets paid out. So there's pros and cons. There's a lot of debates about this. People are very passionate, I think, either pro uh, DRP, I think they're called drips in Canada, pro drip or not. But again, I kind of do both depending on, I think it's more about maybe your circumstance and what you're trying to do with that account than a blanket decision as to whether they're good or not. But that's just my opinion. (laughs) And one of the key features of ShareSite is that you can link it to your brokerage account. So you don't actually have to enter manually all of this information. It's just all automated for you when you buy and sell and um, get dividends, etc. That's right. The buys and sells are automated from your broker. The dividends actually aren't. They come from our, our data provider or the stock market itself. So with the dividends, it's actually interesting. It's more of a way for you to confirm that you did get that. It's not tied to your bank account or brokerage. So like with my Canadian account, it went back 20 years and told me all the dividends that I should have been paid. So let me go through and actually confirm them. And that can be good for people who have maybe moved over the years or changed bank accounts or maybe missed a dividend. And there's a check sitting somewhere at the bottom of a drawer, you know, because back in the day they were paid out as checks. So it is a really good way to confirm that stuff and do what we call portfolio reconstruction. If you've inherited shares and you want to understand that stuff. So, uh, yeah, it's all automated for you. So from a dividend and DRP perspective, it's a huge reason why people come to ShareSite just for that piece alone. Because again, you can imagine if you have even five, you know, 10 stocks and you're trying to track all this stuff in a spreadsheet, it can get pretty crazy over the years. As a marketing person, how do you find A, working in the industry without having any financial background and B, the kind of messaging that you see? Because obviously you're looking at everyone in this industry and how that's going. Just give us a little bit of your marketer's overview of finance. Yeah, that's a great question. It's funny when you meet other marketers and I have friends that were kind of marketers in the finance industry and weren't invested themselves. And there's a lot of us actually marketers that just have the marketing knowledge and we can talk the talk, but we haven't done it ourselves. And I think it's a real shame. And I've actually recommended even at ShareSite that new hires at the very least start tracking shares in the watch list and start keeping track of it that way, not just to learn ShareSite, but just to learn about investing, learn what happens when a dividend lands in your account. What is a benchmark? What are the tax implications? So I do think it's unfortunate that a lot of us are just talking about it, but not actually invested, literally. So yeah, I do think it's a shame from that perspective. In terms of what I'm seeing, I mean, the markets, it's so interesting. I love all the the barriers coming down to investing. I love how more and more people are talking about it. I would say that 
even three years ago when I told people I worked in a fintech, an online portfolio tracker, their eyes would kind of glaze over a little bit. Now more and more people are really interested in it and they have questions and you know want recommendations and stuff like that. So I think it's really good that the barriers have come down. But of course, there is a little bit of, I guess, a concern that it's becoming a little bit gamified in a bad way. It might be replacing Australia's you know, typical sports gambling has kind of maybe been overtaken a bit by investing. So, you know, there's good habits there. If you can stick to your guns and stick to your strategy and, you know, not get too crazy with buying and selling and that kind of side of things. So I guess it comes down to everyone's personal choice and and their own decisions. But I think overall, it's a good thing. You know, I think more education, like this kind of podcast, this kind of content, teaching people sort of the I guess best practices I think is really important, but as long as they get into it, I would say I've met some people that have got into investing during the the pandemic and got a little crazy and maybe made some mistakes, but you learn from it. You know, if you're still young enough that you can do that and you can make a couple of mistakes, hopefully you'll turn it around and kind of realize what to do from there. So I'm always for making little mistakes here and there and then learning. It's It's better than not ever getting into it at all out of fear, you know? And I think it's important to take a deep breath when you're going between your sports bet app and your trading app. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Do you find any particular challenges when it comes to women and investing? Yeah. I mean, I guess I've been at ShareSite for eight years and I've been probably investing for almost, you know, just about that time. I would say it's getting better. There were just not a lot of women at conferences and at events. And so again, coming back to, you know, my colleague getting me into it is because I could identify with her. So while sometimes it can be a little bit condescending to have like investing events for women or things like that, there's something to be said for it at the same time, because I do think it's important for people to be able to identify with other people. So again, I think more voices, people from different backgrounds talking about this. I think all these barriers to investing coming down is helping women as well. I think you're seeing a lot of kind of personal finance content also shifting into a little bit of an investing conversation as well. You know, I've always worked in tech as well. So it's funny. It's like tech is very male dominated traditionally and finance as well. So it's like a double whammy to be in a fintech company. But even in, in ShareSide, I've seen a, a big difference as well in terms of our own team's diversity. I think I was one of the first women at the company. And now we have way more women and, and people from all over the place working for us. So it's happening and it's good to see. But obviously, it needs to be encouraged and decisions made when there are panels and, you know, things like that to include women in those conversations. Even for myself, you know, being invited to do things like this and be on panels, sometimes early on, I didn't feel comfortable with it. You know, I was like, well, I'm not an expert. I'm certainly not, you know, an expert in all these things, but it is really important for people to hear from other people who are just starting their investing journey as well. Because it's very easy to talk to, you know, the CEO of a big bank or something and he shares his strategies, but, you know, might be a millionaire and he's in a very different position. So to encourage people to talk about these things, even in the early stages and talk about the mistakes that they've made. And, you know, we're all on a journey and we're all learning and no one's great at everything. So I think it is just important to give people that voice to talk and you never know who's on the other end listening and what it might take for them to take that, that next step in their journey. Yeah, I think I can really relate to that because um, in a lot of cases, women who talked about finance were talking about frugality and budgeting and debt management and so forth. Whereas 
I'm seeing more and more women talking about taking personal finance to that investing side, especially as mothers, especially as women who want to take hold of their own financial futures. And talking to people who are professionals in that space, such as yourself, is always quite admirable because like you said, in the tech industry and in the financial industry, there are just a lot of men. And so there's less women who have that voice. And it might just take your friend, your colleague that you work with to say, hey, look, I purchased this ETF to inspire someone to change their whole financial future. So I really, I, I really resonate with what you say. And I love, I love hearing your experience from that as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think as well, I mean, as women, not there's anything wrong with, you know, obviously personal finance and household budgeting. And, you know, some of these women are doing pretty amazing things from that perspective. But it has been traditionally then to buy a house, right? It's saving to buy a house. But in some cases, Maybe you already have your house or maybe you're priced out of the market. So I tell my friends, you know, if you can't afford a house, like maybe you want to look at a property ETF. You know, I own Aussie property. It's just not a physical house. It's an ETF, you know. So there are other ways to get, even get into those markets and do those things. And again, it's something that people might not have traditionally thought about. So I love seeing women talking about this stuff. And again, just shifting that conversation a little bit and it's really not as difficult or as scary as it's made to be. I think in the past, it's just been so seen as this massive barrier and that you have to understand everything about the market before you jump into it. But there's so many other things that we do. I mean, when you learn to cook, you don't know every single ingredient, every single recipe in the world. You just learn how to make one thing and then you make that well and then you move on to the next thing. And investing, I think, can be like that. There's obviously a few baselines that you need to understand, but you don't have to understand derivatives and options, you know, when you want to buy your first ETF, just start, do your research. There's so much great content about it. Do a bit of research and, and jump in and, and learn from there. And it's great to see more women investing. I know at Perler, like we have more than 50% of women that are on the platform and seeing that just blows my mind because that wasn't the case a few years ago. So um, I love seeing that growth. That's really promising to see. Same thing at ShareSite. We've been traditionally, it's um, most of our users have been men, but we are seeing a shift now with more and more women joining the platform as well, which I'm very obviously personally invested in, in seeing. So yeah, it's really, really encouraging. Do you see any other shifts when it comes to women on your platform? We haven't dug in, I don't think, into like we want to do some more data in terms of like what women are investing in and things like that. We don't ask people their gender when they when they sign up. So it's kind of based on third party data and stuff. But I would say generally just with young people, we like to talk about all the GameStop stuff that was happening and people saying that young people were investing in kind of. I don't know, risky or frivolous things. That's not what we've seen at ShareSite. We've seen our younger audience actually investing in pretty stable companies and things like that and being pretty consistent with that kind of stuff. So we've actually put some data and some articles out about that. And it could just be that that's the nature of our product and we attract those kind of investors. But it's been good to see that they're not doing all the silly things that I think gets caught up in the media sometimes. That's not the case for most of these people that we're seeing come to the platform. That data is so valuable and so fascinating. I know from our end, we see a lot of younger, especially women, investing in ESGs. And so it's interesting to hear as well from your end that it's not as risky as the media is making it up to be in terms of your audience. So yeah, thanks for sharing that. You're welcome. Angela Thompson, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. 
If you found this podcast helpful, please tell a friend. It may help them and help us keep going with the show. Also, don't forget to rate us. ETFs for Beginners is for information and educational purposes only. It isn't financial advice and you shouldn't buy or sell any investments based on what you've heard here. Any opinion or commentary is the view of the speaker only, not ETFs for Beginners. This podcast doesn't replace professional advice regarding your personal financial needs, circumstances, or current situation. Thank you for listening to this podcast. The secret to summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil, clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Its signature scent of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com.